Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. On today's episode, I have the opportunity to sit down with Jason Van Camp, retired U.S. Army Special Forces officer and founder and chairman of Mission 6-0. Jason also wrote a book called Deliberate Discomfort, which is the reason why I reached out to him in the first place. It's a great book, one hell of a read, and uh, the main topic for this entire conversation here on the podcast. So let's jump into this episode with Jason. Here we go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Adam Kanakin here with Tactical Breakdown and uh, honored to bring you another episode here on the podcast. Sitting with me, if you're watching this on video, if you're just listening on the audio only podcast, Jason Van Camp, uh, retired major, U.S. Army and uh, is the founder and chairman of Mission 6-0, which is a phenomenal company um, and that employs veterans and trains veterans, law enforcement, and other people around the world and uh, have an amazing uh, mission that they accomplish. And uh, just honored to have you here, brother. I appreciate you being here. Well, thanks, Adam. I appreciate you having me on. It's an honor to be here. And uh, let's have some fun. Yeah, dude. So, Long story short, for people who don't, uh, who wouldn't maybe not know this, you're uh, you're a very accomplished author, um, and uh, that's kind of how I got to know you in the first place. Before I even reached out, was uh, your book, and I actually have it sitting here in my uh, bookshelf, uh, "Deliberate Discomfort." Um, oh yeah, so, uh, put that on your reading list, guys, if you if you haven't done that already. Uh, it's "Deliberate Discomfort: How U.S. Special Operations Forces Overcame Fear and Dare to Win by Getting Comfortable Being Uncomfortable." You think you made the title long enough, dude? Yeah, you know, the subtitle, well, first off, the title I'm, I'm really excited about, really proud of, because I thought we nailed it, Deliberate Discomfort, awesome. And then we had to say, okay, subtitle, we have to include special forces. Technically, we have some SEALs and some Rangers, because, you know, Green Berets are the only true special forces. Everybody else is special operations. So we had to say special operations forces. And then we had to say getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. And then just by saying that, it was already too long, you know? And so uh, I said, why not just, just go with, go it, with it, here and now. Make it even longer, make it the longest <laughs> subtitle ever. Let's see how it sells. And it sold well. So I'm okay with it. Yeah. It's a, it's a phenomenal book. Um, and not just to, you know, not to just pump your tires here, but it's a, it's a phenomenal book. Obviously I have the opportunity to, to read a lot of books from veterans, from law enforcement veterans, military veterans, and, and active duty personnel. And um, you take a very interesting approach to this book. I like it for a few reasons. One, I like it because it's not just you. It's not just, it's you know, uh, you have stories and information from multiple people and you take it and then you wrap it up into kind of a tidy, nice little bow at the end of each chapter, which I love, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like getting that AAR at the end of that information information cycle. And so um, maybe let's just talk a bit about the the motivation behind why you wrote the book in the first place. Sure. Well, I appreciate the kind words. You know, it's ultimately it's, it's my book. It's a book about me, my life and the people that I've met in my life that I've really looked up to and uh, I, I hold in high regard. And I asked them to join me on my team, Mission Six Zero. I've got vets and scientists. And so uh, for the scientists, I said, could you write a short little section kind of summarizing the philosophies, the, 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 the theories, the scientific theories behind what we're talking about here. And then um, I incorporate, you know, examples from business clients and NFL clients, major league baseball clients and so forth 
that we've had at Mission Six Zero. When I first started this company, um, I was getting my MBA, and I talked to some of my professors about this company I wanted to start and, and, and if they had any advice for me and so forth. And my favorite professor, he said, Jason, I've never heard of a company like this succeeding unless they have material, meaning they have already written a book. And then once you have the book and it's, and it's doing well, then you can kind of create this company. But if you don't have a book, I highly recommend that you don't start the company. And I thought to myself at the time, well, we already have landed our first client and it was the New York Jets. So it was a huge client and I didn't have a book. And so part of me said, well, maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. But the other part of me said, I think eventually I need to write a book, a curriculum, but I don't have the experiences yet in business to make it um, a valuable book. Um, and I'm not quite ready. I don't want to force writing a book. I want it to come naturally. I want to be inspired and to be excited about it. So over the course of about five years, I wrote down stories, lessons learned, things that I've thought about, experiences that I've had, and I put it all into uh, deliberate discomfort. And that's where we're at now. So it became a number one Amazon bestseller. We're excited about that. I think we're, I'm not sure what the numbers are at right now, but probably close to 40,000 books sold which is okay. I mean, every time I look at a, an author that has a million books sold, I get super depressed. Uh, but still, for a first-time author, it's, it's okay. And uh, I've, I've become a Wall Street Journal and USAA Today, USA Today uh, best-selling journal, best-selling author, that is. And, and uh, I'm going to write another book soon, and hopefully that'll, that'll be a New York Times variety. Right. Well, that's awesome, man. No, I... Uh... I'm excited for you. I think it's a, it's a message that should get out there. Um, it's always, you know, I mean, I'm probably biased because I come from the, the, uh, army officer side of things. So yeah. every time I see that, I, it's kind of like you jump on it, like a fat kid on a cupcake. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, there's a, there's a few parts of your book that I made notes of before, before we jumped on this call and I was kind of looking back through my notes on it. Um, if anybody ever sees the books that I, I read, it's literally full of pencil marks and sticky notes, right? All over the place. Um, two two things that really jumped out at me that I want to talk about. And the first one, um, and I don't know how long or, or short this will be, but you there's a right at the beginning of the book talking about kind of being socially aware. Um, and you you bring up this example of log PT that you have. Ah. Um, and I found it super, super interesting. Um, when you talked about the importance of looking up and just being aware, kind of being aware of your surroundings, being aware of what other people are going through around you, you know, and, and focusing on other things um, that aren't necessarily just, you know, self-focused, but focused, focused on things outside of your, your personal self um, and why that's important. And so can I ask you where that, where the motivation behind putting that in the book came from, and then kind of maybe dive into that concept a bit? Yeah, so that was uh, a chemical in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, during selection. So in the Special Forces uh, pipeline, the first phase is selection, and then you kind of go through the qualification course. And when I went through at the time, there were six phases of that, and it took about two years, more or less, uh, to complete. So you're training at Fort Bragg and other locations for about two years. And they try to break you off uh, in the very beginning during selection physically, mentally, emotionally, that sort of thing. Uh, most courses do, but when you kind of get to the level of special forces, they really try hard to break you off. And so 
uh, the first day you do log PT, physical training. And you have teams of eight to 12 guys. You got a big ass log. And uh, it's sort of, you're in this sort of sand pit thing. And you do this log PT for hours, hours and hours. And you hold the log over your head. You put it to your shoulder, back and forth. You do curls with it. You get on the ground. You do sort of inverted push-ups with it. You do relay races with the log against other teams. You compete. And, uh, you know, when you first start, everybody's excited and like, let's go. And there's the motivated male cheerleaders and, and all that. And after about 15 minutes, I mean, you realize like this sucks and I've got a long way to go, you know? And so everybody kind of shuts up and it gets kind of quiet except for the grunting and that breathing hard. And some people are complaining. Some people are puking, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, kind of inherently you think to yourself, I need to conserve energy. I need to survive. What can I do to make it easier for me? And so as you're holding the log, maybe, maybe you take one arm off the log, you know, and when you do that, you're making it harder for everybody else, you know, and maybe you, you kind of half-ass a few of the, the exercises or maybe you're not running as fast as you can. A lot of people think like that and do that, right? And time goes on and on. And eventually, for whatever reason, you know, instead of using energy on myself, I lifted my head up and this was well into this PT. And I looked around and I noticed that everybody else was suffering just as bad as, as me, if not worse. Right. And I, and I noticed another team across from me and there was a buddy of mine that I knew his name was Pat and he, and he lifted his head up as well. And we kind of made eye contact and we sort of smiled at each other in our, in our misery and just sort of man, this sucks, kind of gave us each other that look. And he said, let's go, Jay, you got this. And that was really the first words that had been said for, for a couple hours, probably, you know, from anybody really out loud. And I shouted words of encouragement back at him. And all of a sudden, a few more people started lifting their heads up and they started looking at us. And we looked at them and we were all shouting words of encouragement back at each other. And then all of a sudden, you know, we forgot about our pain. You know, it seemed like the time moved faster. It felt like the log was lighter. It felt like it wasn't as cold out as it once was. You know, all these things were happening, but in reality, nothing changed except our attitudes, right? And so when we did this, it's counterintuitive, but when you focus on other people rather than yourself, you know, you realize that that's how you succeed as a team right? Not by focusing on yourself. And the interesting thing is, I'm not sure if I even mentioned this in the book, but flash forward about two years later, we're in formation and we're about to don our green berets for the first time. So we've completed the course, you know, the, the U S flag is up. We're in formation. We've got our green berets in our right front cargo pockets. And at a particular moment during the ceremony, they're going to say, don your green beret and you take it out of your pocket you put it on and everybody claps. And it's kind of a cool, cool moment. Uh, culminating moment. But while we were standing in formation, before we donned our green berets, I did the same thing. I looked up. I mean, my head was already up, but I looked up and I looked around, looked at the guys to my left and to my right, looked at the guys in front of me, behind me, you know, and I, and I, occur, something occurred to me, a thought occurred to me. I realized the guys that were all standing in formation with me on basically the last day were all the guys that lifted their heads up on day one. Like all the guys that 
didn't feel it was necessary to lift their heads up. All the guys who didn't feel it was necessary to expend any energy on someone else rather than on their own selfish needs, those guys fell by the wayside, either during that PT formation, during log PT, or somewhere else along the two-year pipeline. And so that's the key to success. I realize it's focusing on other people, looking up and realizing that you're not alone, that the success of the team is more important than your own personal success. You know, we preach the following in the special forces all the time, mission, team, teammates, and then finally all the way at the bottom, yourself. You know, and there's a lot of people that talk about that and and they understand that, but they don't live that. And I think that's the difference between the one percenters, the Green Berets, special forces guys, and the other group is these are the guys that understand that I want you to succeed more than I want to succeed myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're well, obviously you're hundred percent right. I mean, even with the Canadian forces and everybody that I've ever spoken with that has gone through any type of rigorous selection like that for some type of special operations team. That's that one, that one virtue that kind of every single one of them holds is that selflessness, right? Like they'll, they'll literally give you the shirt off their back and freeze their ass off um, before they'll even complain about it. Right. Like they're, they're always the first one in um, to, to help out. And I think that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that, that go on and occur in that, in that environment, but, that's it's it's so interesting to me and so what i always like to do is take that lesson that we know exists and now how do we apply that to either a our everyday lives right now as as civilians um but also for you know obviously uh, the large majority of people listening to this podcast right now um active duty law enforcement and public safety personnel i mean that that teamwork aspect is i think one of those things that gets lost quite a bit right it's how do I get by? How do I get through my shift? How do I get home? Right. Instead of how, how can I support other people in my platoon? How can I support the other person sitting in this car next to me? And it's, it's a, it's a quick, it's a, it's just a quick change of mindset, but I think it could be so valuable. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on that or any suggestions for, you know, the guys and girls right now that are going out there, you know, putting that uniform on, you know, throwing on that belt, getting into that car every morning. Like, what is it that that they can focus on um, that's going to help them get through these days? You know, uh, we work with a lot of professional sports organizations, and we work with a lot of law enforcement, a lot of corporate clients as well. And it seems like in this day and age, there's so many options that we feel sometimes like we're contractors. Like, we're not exactly part of the team. We're here, we've got a certain skill set, and we can leave anytime we want for a $5 an hour more position, you know, like a drop of a hat if we want to, uh, especially in organizations like the NFL, for example, we'll come in and um, almost immediately a player will ask something like this. I understand what you're saying, Jason. I understand leadership. I understand culture. I understand all this stuff, but how is this making me a better player? If you can explain to me how this training is making me better, I'll stay. And the first time somebody asked me that, it was in front of a large group, sort of put me on the spot. And I came up with this answer on the spot. And it's as truthful as an answer as I've ever given. I said, it's not. This training is not making you a better player. And he kind of looked around at everybody and was sort of like, well, why am I here then? 
I said, this training is making the person to your left and to your right a better player. That's the attitude, that's the mindset that I want you to have. It's not about you. It's about the person to your left and to your right. What are you doing to help that person succeed? And ultimately, the person to your left and to your right are looking at you and trying to do whatever they can to help you succeed. You know, in order to do that, you got to get buy-in. You know, we work with these corporate clients, people that are CEOs that have started companies, and they say, Jason, how do I get my people to buy into this company, to this mission, to this vision with the same passion that I have? And I say, listen, if you want, to, if you want them to buy into you, into your vision and your mission, into this company, you have to take the uncomfortable leap of faith and buy into them first. And they ask, well, how do I do that? Well, step one is you get to know them. You take the time out of your day to sit down and find out who they are as people, what their goals are, what their vision is, what their mission is for their lives. And if you can help them achieve that, accomplish that, realize those dreams, they will always buy into you. And I think that's something that we neglect in law enforcement or in the corporate space. How well do you really know the person to your left and to your right? How well do you really know the person in the locker room? Is it just a superficial um, relationship? Do you just have small talk? Or do you actually know this person? Because once you get to that level, you start to buy into each other, you start to care about each other, you start to want each other to succeed. And that's when you really have that culture that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, it's so difficult that that team aspect right? Like you had said, especially if you have a large department, you know, it's, it's hard when you have different shifts, you have all these different things and you, you actually have to make an effort. Like it, it takes a lot of effort to start to, to build those relationships out. Um, I know when I, you know, I have said this before on other podcasts. Um, when I first got in as a, as a young platoon commander, my CO came to me and he said, your only job is to learn your guys. He's like, get to know them, get to know who they are, right? Let the let the NCO take care of all the business because you have no idea what you're fucking doing yet. <laughs> so essentially, get to know your people. Um, and and from a command perspective, obviously that that makes sense. But from just that baseline officer level, though, it's important to know the people that you're with, that you're working with all the time, um, and and find a way, find that reason to want to support them. Because like you had said, if you know, we all know those people that are just will give, 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 and never expect anything in return. And those people are awesome. And they're like little unicorns that run around and, and shit rainbows all over the place. But then there's the majority of people that will take and then be like, eh, I'm good. Right. It's how do we change that culture so that everybody buys into like, listen, if, if I help and support everybody and everybody else does the same thing, you know, it lifts everybody up and then we're better off. It's, but it's a, it's that cultural change. And I think right now, especially in law enforcement, I think that's where we're having that biggest issue, right? I mean, the, the mass media narrative of public support for law enforcement is that nobody supports law enforcement anymore. I think we know that that's not true. I think, you know, that's the, that's the vocal minority, but the problem is from a psychological perspective, if that's all those officers are hearing, is nobody supports you. We don't want you here, yada, yada, yada. Even though that's not necessarily the case, that can beat you down to the point where you're just like, ah, oh, fuck it. I don't care anymore. Um, and so, like, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I know that's something that happens in, in selection, right? There's 
they play freaking psychological war games on you guys to to try to get you to break. Um, and that's really what it feels like we're going through right now as a profession. And and you're kind of getting it from all sides. Yeah, man, it's a tough situation right now, for sure. You're a real hero if you're sticking with it and you're seeing it through to the end. You know, one of your values is loyalty. That's one of my top values. And loyalty is forged in the dark times. That's when you find out who you really are. If you're loyal to your unit and your duty all the way to the end. Because it's easy to say you're loyal, but when things get tough and you quit, you're not loyal. Mm. You know, it was just a hobby to you. Just something that sounded good. So the people that are there right now, you're gaining experience and you're going to be stronger and more powerful on the other side of this. You're going to be better as a human being, as a police officer, at your job in life, husband, father, whatever it is, mother, daughter, wife. You know, understanding that that is what is happening right now. And that's something that you can't control. You know, you can only control yourself and your reactions and how you react to this. And so if you're going through this right now, what are you learning from it? Are you becoming stronger because of it? Are you learning about yourself? Are you learning about the person to your left and to your right? Are you learning about your unit? Are you learning about your leaders? Because if you're not, it's a waste of time and you're missing out. And as you're going through this, you're going to start to identify people that need extra training or people that need to be let go. And I think a lot of times when you have somebody who's not a high performer in your organization, uh, at least in the military, what we look, what we did and how we looked at it was, let's do everything we can, we possibly can to make this person more proficient, better at their job. So let's give them more training. Let's give them all support they need. If this person failed to live up to that training, then we had no, no other recourse, no other decision than to let that person go. With our law enforcement people, I see them sticking with these people and putting them in other positions, you know, and just not letting them go. There comes a time when after you've given everything you possibly can and that person is still not living up to the expectation, the standard that you've established, it's time to release that person because they're obviously not in the best position for themselves. There's probably another job somewhere in another profession that they will excel at. But what they're doing with you guys is they're holding you back. They're bringing the team down, you know, and letting them go is good for the unit. It's good for them. It's good for you. And it's good for the mission. So think about that. I, I'm not saying give up on everybody right away. I'm saying give them the training. And then if they still don't perform to standard, it's time to cut and go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with more with you on that one. Um, you kind of segued into my second point that I did want to bring up, um, which is the training. That's obviously what we talked about here was training. Um, but I'm going to go into it a completely different route. Um, and this again from your book. You talked about the correlation between success and happiness. Um, and I found it really interesting because you kind of had a, a, a list of steps. 
um, when it comes to success. And I, I, I laughed uh, at it when I went and reviewed through it again, because I was, I wasn't sure if I remembered it correctly, but um, in your list of steps for success that you have in the book, um, the first two are pretty much as, as simple as it gets uh, start and then don't, and don't quit. quit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't get much more black and white than that. Um, and there's obviously there's more to the list and we can go through it, but where's um, where did that whole thing come from? And, and, and the, can you explain a bit what, what I, uh, what I referenced there between the success and happiness? Yeah. So uh, happiness is the precursor to success, not the other way around. So a lot of people say, I'll be happy when I get this, or I do this, or I win this, or I succeed at this. That's never the case. It's not even rarely the case. It's never the case. You're happy first, and then you find your success. And so uh, what you're referring to is an article that I wrote for Chris Desi in Inc. Magazine. He came to me a few years ago. Um, he was sort of a fan. He liked what I was doing. He said, Jason, uh, I have to write Inc. Magazine articles I think he said like three a week or something. Um, I want you to write something about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. So I wrote that for him. I gave it to him. He put like a little header on it. Basically he said, Hey, I, I know Jason Van Camp. He's a resilient guy. And this is what he has to say about getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And so that was the article. And whenever I write or I talk, I always look at the audience and I say, okay, who's the lowest common denominator? And I speak to them uh, because oftentimes somebody will start speaking on such a high level that most of the audience is just like way over their head and they don't get it. And it's just, it's just bad, you know? And so I tried to keep things very simple. Okay. Start at step one. I can't get any, any simpler than that. You have to start, you have to take action. You have to do something. You can't just sit there or lay there and think about stuff or wish stuff, or hope magically that something will happen, you have to start. And oftentimes, that's the most uncomfortable thing you can do. It's showing up. I've heard people say that showing up is, is you've already won half the battle if you show up. Uh, every morning, I get up uh, about 4 a.m., sometimes 3.30, sometimes 4.30, like in that general area. I don't even set an alarm clock. My body just wakes up at that time because I'm so used to it. And I lay there for a minute. And I start to have these conversations in my head. You know, I start to negotiate with myself. Well, maybe you can lay here a little bit longer. Uh, maybe you can sleep in today. You've earned it. You know, you've got to kill those negotiations. You know, you've got to put your feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you do that, it's almost like there's no turning back. Like you started. Now get up, get my gym clothes on. You know, wipe the sleep from my eyes, go to the bathroom, put my shoes on, get in the car, and now I'm driving. I've started, right? That's all you have to do. Now I get to the gym. I'm tired, don't really want to be there, sore from the day before. Start working out. Those negotiations start to go on in your mind again. Well, maybe I could take it easy today. Maybe I could do lesser weight. Maybe I can you know, not do as many reps. Maybe I can just go over here and hang out with a buddy and talk to him a little bit. Don't quit. Don't quit on yourself. You've already started. You got to keep going and don't give yourself an out to quit. Don't give yourself an excuse. Don't say, Oh, I'm, I'm injured. I'm tired. I'm sore. I'm whatever. Just don't even talk to yourself in that fashion. 
Just realize you're here and you're ready to work. And as soon as you get to work, the sooner it'll be over. Mm, no, that, I love that idea. It's it, it's just so simple, right? And like you had said, that's it, the more simple you can explain a concept, the easier it is for people to grasp onto. Uh, you're 100% right. People come up with these convoluted explanations of how you can create all this, you know, success and everything. It's And it's, it's fairly simple. Just pick something, start doing it. And then, and then just keep doing it. I mean, um, that's how that's how I started. That's how our company started, right? It was literally this idea of I was doing something that I loved doing at the beginning, anyways. Something I loved doing, and it just so happened to turn into something that became a business. Um, and I think that that was the key to this. You know, I get I've brought this up. I don't know how many times people are always sick of hearing it. Um, I get I get yelled at my by my wife um, because she's like, "What do you do? You just talk to your friends all day." She's like, you literally just talk to your friends all day. I'm like, well, yes and no. Yes, I am talking to them. And yes, they are my friends or they're new friends or I'm building relationships. But it seems like they're joyful conversations because they are. Because I'm talking about stuff that I love to talk about. For me, it's not coming to work. Right? And so I'm lucky that I found that, that I found something that can, you know, put a roof over our head and food on the table and that I love doing. And I, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people lose sight of that. Like you had said, a lot of people say like, well, if only I can, you know, if only I can make X amount of dollars, if only, if I can get that promotion, if only this, if only that you got to flip it, flip it on its head. Like you had just said, and, um, and find that happiness, what makes you happy first and then, and figure that out as a starting point. So I love that. I love that idea. You know, I appreciate that. A lot of people, you know, measure their success by how much money they make. You know, and I would argue that that's not a good measure of success. If you're doing something that makes you happy and you're making money doing it, and maybe you're not making as much money as you would in another profession and you're happy, that's success to me. You know, if you have a family and you get to spend time with your family and you get to raise them and you get to show them affection and love and, and, and give them the attention that they need and you can do all that, you're successful. You know, so I think we need to shift our definition of success slightly, you know, for at least for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's there's one thing that I did want to bring up here. Um, what you got? Because it was in. So it's in part. It, um, you have these little uh, boxes uh, at the end of at, at the end of each of your your chapters that are kind of like keynotes on on the on what you've taught. And in one of those boxes. Um, you had, you rise and fall to the level of your training. Now, this is a, this is a conversation. This is a quote that we know very well. Sometimes it's, um, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training or have you say it. Um, it's interesting. And the reason I want to bring this up because I'm actually doing a presentation on this, uh, in a few weeks, um, where I actually utilize this concept as a reframe, um, because the original quote by, uh, Archilochus, who was a, uh, old school, ancient, Greek poet from like 650 BC, right? The original quote was, we don't rise. Uh, let me actually, I wrote it down here. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. So that was the original quote is translated. And my reframe on that was pretty much everything stays the same, right? You don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. All I did was I switched that last word from training to trainer. So you fall to the level of your trainer. 
And so as instructors, as trainers, what I want people to do is start taking accountability for the shit that you're putting in other people's heads. Mm. I want you to start taking accountability for the work that we, the, the, the role that we have as instructors, as trainers, as coaches to share that information with people and saying, well, I did the best I could do. It's on them now. That's, that's a fail. That's a, that's an attitude that's bound to fail. That, that at some point that officer, that trainer, that player, that, you know, that infantryman are going to fail because you didn't give a shit enough to make sure that they walked away and they learned what you needed them to learn. Um, and so I reframed that and I'm going to be doing a whole presentation on it, but I wanted to bring it up because you had it in your book. So I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, on that reframe. Hey, I, I love it. I, I really do. I think that's a great way of looking at it. And it's true. Um, I hadn't thought about it like that before. And, uh, and maybe I, and I will moving forward. It reminds me of something that I, I said, I thought about, I experienced in, in combat. Uh, it, it was something along the lines of when we were selecting our interpreters or when we were working with our interpreters, uh, I told my boss and, and guys that were replacing me, you know, I said, you know, your success in combat largely depends on your interpreter's ability to translate, you know, because a lot of the guys, they just say, oh, you're a translator, translate this. And then they don't know what the guy's saying. And he could be saying the completely wrong thing. I lived in Russia for two years. I speak fluent Russian. And I noticed, and I was around professional interpreters that would translate the wrong thing. They just didn't understand what someone was saying. And they would say it completely differently. And it ruined relationships. It ruined businesses. Mm -hmm. It ruined everything. You know what I mean? Because the guy wasn't skilled enough to understand what that person was saying and then interpret it correctly. And so I was always cautious in combat with interpreters because I always knew that our life and death, not just relationships, but, but our lives depended on whether or not this guy could understand what I was saying and then translate it, communicate it, articulate it back to the person I was talking with in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's the same thing you're saying. It's like we, we rise or fall to the level of our trainer, just like we, we rose or fell to the level of our interpreter. Right. So I, I love how you, you, uh, you, you phrased that. Yeah. I just, it, it was interesting, right. To, to me, when I thought of it that way, um, the, there's so many different ways to look at different things, right. It's, it's these reframes, it's these concepts, but it's conversations like this and, and being able to, to share thoughts and ideas with other people. And I think that's, I think we don't do that enough. I don't think we, I think we're too afraid right now in, in society to to risk failure or risk embarrassment, right? We kind of go, we we tend people tend to go the safe route and say like, I have an idea, but I'm not going to share it because I think people are going to think I'm a bit nuts or that it's stupid or whatever. Um, I take the opposite route. I I tell everybody, I tell us, I tell everybody everything. And you know, what if it works? It works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But if you have ideas and thoughts, you should be sharing them. Because that's how society grows. That's how we evolve. That's how we adapt and change, right? If everybody maintains the status quo, what evolution or growth are we going to get out of that? We're not going to get anything out of it. What are we so. afraid of failing for? We fail our entire lives. You know, sometimes we win, sometimes we learn. 
you know, and losing it's our, it's our biggest learning lessons. Right. Yeah. I remember all the way back to my first sport playing sports as a kid, you know, I, I would venture to say that, you know, the teams that I were on mostly were losing teams. So losing isn't something that's new to me, you know, I've lost, you know, and growing up with sports, high school sports, college sports. Um, and you know, you sprinkle in every now and again, you have those championship seasons, which are really cool. But all those times, like if you're not winning the championship, you're losing in heartbreak. Right. And so knowing that feeling that experiencing that, why are we so afraid of failing? It's not something that's unknown to us, unusual to us. If you look at it, if you frame it in a different perspective, like we're just learning then I think people would be less afraid of it. Yeah. That goes down a whole other rabbit hole about participation ribbons that we're not going to get into. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair I think enough. that's another, that could be two hours worth of conversation, man. Um, listen, Fair I know enough. you, uh, you have a heart out here, so I want to be respectful of your time. I want to Thank talk you, a bit friend. about Mission Six Zero and uh, and what you guys are doing there. Can you give everybody just a, a quick overview of what Mission Six Zero is and, and kind of what you guys are doing? Uh, yeah, we've been around for 10 years. We're a leadership development firm. Uh, we combine special operations forces veterans. So our experiences in combat and training, Medal of Honor recipients, Green Berets, SEALs, Rangers, Delta Force guys, uh, Marines. And we combine those experiences, those people, with science. So we have PhDs, researchers, experts on the team as well. Uh, we were the first organization to do this. Uh, and we did this because when we first started, I just had these, these vets and we would give training, we would speak. And oftentimes clients would come to me and they would say, you know, Jason, that was great. Can you tell me how you did the things that you did? And my guys would say, I don't know, I just did it. Or, Hey, I just relied on my training. And I thought to myself, we could do better than that. You know, even my guys themselves don't understand how or why or, or what they what they did. You know, we need someone to come in and and really uh, explain that so that people could take it and use it moving forward. And so that's exactly what I did with Deliberate Discomfort, the book. It's uh, a story, first part of the chapter. Second part is a breakdown, scientific breakdown of what happened in that chapter. And the third section of each chapter is practical application. So how can I take this story, science, and use it in my own life, either personally or professionally? And so each chapter in Deliberate Discomfort is, is constructed in that way, which is, is unique. I've never seen another book uh, that have, has been constructed like that. And that's how we teach at Mission Six Zero. That's our curriculum. We tell you the stories. We talk about the science behind it. Now here is the so what and the now what. Here's why it's relevant to you. Uh, we do keynotes. We do workshops. Uh, we have team building events, team bonding events. We've got tanks and helicopters and flamethrowers and every weapon you can imagine. Uh, we do offsite activities. Uh, we do a deliberate discomfort challenge. It's a 60 day challenge and it's $297. Amazing. You know, six uh, requirements every single day I ask you to complete. Mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, emotionally, professionally. We've had uh, about 2,000 people go through the program so far. And uh, it's, it's transformational. It's really helped people out. And uh, it's hard. It's very difficult. So uh, I welcome people that want to embrace discomfort to check out the Deliberate Discomfort Challenge. 
Yeah, I, I love that idea. And and obviously, like we talked about this offline, um, we're going to be making sure that we push and support your your project that you have there. I think it's a phenomenal idea. Thanks. And um, if you guys are interested in getting hold of Jason, I mean, check out the show notes. The links are in the bio, um, you know, mission60.com. Um, and you can get a hold of Jason directly through social media. We'll make sure we link his LinkedIn and his Insta and all that kind of stuff for you guys as well. Uh, Jason, listen, brother, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm humbled that you took the time out. I know how busy you are. Um, and so thank you so much for, for joining us here and just sharing your thoughts and wisdom with us, man. Oh, it's my honor. It's my pleasure. If I can reciprocate in some fashion in the future, let me know. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. Right on, brother. We'll talk soon. Okay. Join the Islet Network now. Go to islet.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network.